I'm Sinead O'Moore and you're listening to Every Mum the Podcast, supported by Water Wipes, the world's purest baby wipes, made with only two ingredients, 99.9% purified water and a drop of fruit extract. From fertility to birth to taking care of ourselves, here we talk to women about their own unique experiences of motherhood. The insane joy and the anxious defeat, the love, the laughs, the tears, and the moments that we don't talk enough about. This season is supported by one of the most essential products for every mum. From that first nappy change to those messy winning months, water wipes. Winners of seven National Parenting Product Awards 2021, including Best Baby Wipes, water wipes are proven to be purer than cotton wool and water, making them ideal to help protect and gently cleanse sensitive skin. As the number one baby wipe in Ireland, together we are committed to providing more support for parents with trusted products and this podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by Katie, the founder of nursingmama.ie, to talk about how being a mum of four has shaped her work, empathy, and non-judgmental care of mums. Through her career as a general nurse, pediatric nurse, public health nurse, and lactation consultant, Katie's only goal is to make a difference to the mothers and newborns she works with. There is a lack of support for mums in Ireland and conflicting information which can leave us feeling confused and overwhelmed. Here, we talk about the challenges that women face in accessing breastfeeding support, the unnecessary camps we are placed in depending upon if we breast or bottle or pump, the need to feel safe and not at risk of any criticism for the choices we make. Instead, to champion that a well mother is the best mother a child can have. There is great need for better education antenatally so mothers can be better equipped with practical knowledge when their baby arrives. And we are endlessly grateful for women like Katie who can now use social platforms to share their qualified expertise with us. Katie, thank you so much for joining me on Every Mum the Podcast. You have, the span of your children is almost teen to three. Yes. That is like, you've seen it all. Like that is just, it's such an expansive age groups. You have four children. You obviously, you help us all so much through your content, through your profession, through the amount of years of service that you've given to helping women and the studies. But there is no greater lesson than trying to raise four children aged between, you know, almost (laughs) teen and three trying to, I mean, look, I've got two and I'm trying to figure out a day where they're both happy and I'm trying to do everything that suits both age groups. That is quite the challenge. It is. And you know what? I suppose I always think you grow with them. I think I always say to every parent, you know, you learn on your first and you hit all those milestones with the first and, you know, you kind of gain knowledge as time goes on and then it gets easier. And I think Or maybe it's just that I don't stress about the little things as much as I did on my first. When Luke came along, um, I suppose I was very much a nurse. I was very much routined. That's just how it worked for me. And I was by by nature, I probably was a very routined person. And then Luke came along and do you know what? He was my very first. And if I could have picked a baby off a shelf, like he was the most gorgeous, adorable, placid, easygoing baby I could have ever picked I was so incredibly lucky that it happened and I think it all happened for a reason like myself and Jim ended up where we were together we got pregnant quite quickly it probably wasn't as planned as what we would have liked so he was our little surprise and he was an amazing surprise when it came along like he just every the pregnancy was fab breastfeeding worked really well so I didn't have any major hiccups with him at the very beginning I think the transition to motherhood was probably a little bit more daunting in that I knew how to parent as in I didn't know how to parent but I suppose I had the knowledge of what's supposed to be parenting and I did in fairness kind of find it that part easy enough Mm -hmm. I think what I probably would have struggled a little bit I lived in southwest Kerry And I didn't have that big a network of support. My family lived back up in Kildare and I was breastfeeding and there was no breastfeeding support. Like there was no groups. There was no mommy and toddler groups. 
So I think that was my biggest challenge. I was lonely. I found the days long. Jim was gone to work. Um, it was beautiful in the summer. I went walk, walking down by the beach. But the winters came and it was he was born in the winter. So it was quite a um, I would it was quite a, not a lonely existence, I think, initially. But I missed my life as not a single entity, but just the transition I would have found probably a little bit harder that I loved having him with me, but I just didn't have any friends that were mammies at the time. I was one of the first out of my friends to have them. So that was my probably biggest challenge initially. And then I we ended we got married that year. So we had loads going on. And then we had our Lils. Lily came. She's our honeymoon baby. Very much wanted. And she was fantastic. And I think that's when I had I just presumed having my first baby. That was such an easy breastfeeding journey. Every other breastfeeding journey would just <laughs> simply plod along with it. And it didn't. Lily came along. It was very easy at the beginning. Breastfeeding was great. Um, we I did find the jump from one to two. Probably just a bit daunting in that. I kind of thought, oh, look, I've got one. And I knew he was really routined and it worked really well. That it would just work. But like everything, different kids. He turned into there was a lot of jealousy for the very first few weeks. He ended up with chicken pox. Um, so a lot went on in the very first bit. Um, but you know, we kind of got into the swing of it. I thought I had it, it was down. And about five or six weeks, she just kicked off being really unsettled in the evenings. Re she was always a bit refluxy, but it just accelerated hugely. Um, and it's funny, I look back now and I just wish I had the knowledge I have now back then but again I lived in South West Kerry and there was no breastfeeding sports and my public health nurse was absolutely fabulous but as she said you have more knowledge than me she had no breastfeeding knowledge um and at the time I used to go meet friends in Killarney which was an hour away from us just to literally meet up and have a bit of friendship and go for lunch and just feel normal and, and have kids that was great but it was then I kind of started going this can't be normal like she's really unsettled really refluxy and it was getting harder to feed her. So she was on and off the breast nonstop and I just didn't know what was going on. And in that period, then we'd have really good days and some really bad days. And then we went, it was, I ended up getting a job offer that I couldn't really refuse. And I took it up. And from there, it was, it was probably about three or four months. We struggled on until about that stage. And then I started bringing in the bottle then. And I thought it would, to be honest, it would be the cure of everything. I thought, look, this isn't working very well. We'll go towards the bottle. Um, but she was probably equally as bad in the bottle as she was in the breast. But I do think at the time there was probably a lot of stressors going on. I'd gone back to work. I had two small kids. Jim was changing jobs. We were living away from family. It was just, I think, a bit chaotic. And I think that's where I do see a lot of what moms feel or if you're going through a chaotic period in your own life, we can actually see it sometimes kind of coming out in our kids where they're just a little bit more unsettled. They're looking for reassurance, but maybe we're not realizing. I, I don't honestly think... I had a lot to play in the whole situation when I look back on it now, but she was a real refluxy baby. I tried everything. I even tried the medications. Nothing worked, whether she was breast or bottle fed. It just didn't work. Um, now, looking back, she did have a very significant tongue tie and she still does. And I would say it probably does pose a lot of issues for her. And I never get into the debate on tongue ties because I do really think it's just individual to each and each child, whether it does affect or it doesn't. But anyway, then after that, um, you know, parenting the two actually made some great times. We ended up moving back up to NACE. Um, I got offered a different job back up here, back to the GPs I'd worked with previously. Um, and I was really happy and content. Jim was working in Cork and his job was down there. So he commuted. So he did kind of half of like he could do two weeks down there fully and then he come back up here. So that way it was still very chaotic in that, like, honestly, Luke used to think he had a separate family. It used to be so funny, like, he'd go away and then he'd come back. So I'd say it was probably more of a disturb, like... And they were very... still quite young. I mean, you would have had the, you would have had the two babies relatively close in age. There was only so... 18 months between Lil and Luke. So they were very young. And then we were back up here. Yes, yeah, so it was... Like, they're so little and you're managing here, you know, every evening by yourself. Yeah. So we did get an au pair that's just because childcare costs were huge yeah. at the time, um, like everyone is experiencing at the moment. But I just the childcare wasn't it was nearly just needing somebody to give me a hand kind of in like when you get back um, in the evenings or the weekends were really tough. If mm. Jim was gone for the whole weekend, it was like one weekend moved into the others. 
Um, but yeah, uh, you know, you just kind of go along with it. Like in the time, it was probably really hard. But and the one thing I will say is, I do think it depends on where you're at. Like, I suppose none of my friends had kids. There was only one other friend that had a child at the same time. So the other guys were all going out and living it up and enjoying it. And we were at home with kids. So it was very different. And that's where I think I found the jump hard. They were like, are you coming out? And I was like, no, I can't. Jim's away or I've got the two kids. And it just wasn't feasible. But I actually really thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, then uh, I ended up going and decided to do my public health nursing. And I think this is where my probably big jump in regards to breastfeeding support for moms was in that I started my public health nursing and I would have seen a lot of, I suppose, misguidance or, you know, wrong advice being given, but I probably didn't see it to the same level. And then I started public health nursing and I was seeing day after day after day going into parents' houses and moms in the height of breastfeeding struggles and really things that could have easily been changed had they had the correct knowledge maybe before they went in that was a big factor and then looking at what the advice they were given afterwards and like the biggest thing that I always found came out was like they were being told different things by different people all the time and it's so confusing you can imagine and I can definitely say as a mother in the throes of having a small baby you'll take any advice and if it's coming from a medical professional medical practitioner you kind of say they know what they're talking about I'm going to do what they're doing but if you have one person saying one thing and the next person saying another thing they just feel so overwhelmed and I think that's where I really felt like I was giving doing a service like I wasn't doing the job I should have been doing because I didn't have the full-on correct knowledge it wasn't up to date it wasn't um it wasn't to the standard it should be and that's when I decided it's time to do my IBCLC um the lactation consultant exams and study for it and it was a game changer. Like I honestly felt that whatever advice I was giving, I knew it was accurate. I knew it was up to date. And I knew that I could make a difference in that light. And that was my biggest passion. And my thing, and, and why I'm so non, non-judgmental is I really firmly believe for every mother, how they choose to feed their child is completely up to them. And it's like anything to do with any of our choices with regards to parenting. I can't stand the judgment that comes with it. And I've been the mother in the in the shopping center with two small kids and a kid taking to the ground and screaming. And there is nothing worse than you, the pressure you put on yourself to get the situation to stop. But it's even worse when you can see that look from somebody and they're going, you know, she, she doesn't know what she's doing or, you know, bad mom. And that's why I, I, I think regardless of how you feed, I think the biggest thing with regards to breastfeeding is the support isn't there. And I think if the support is better antenatally and postnatally, I think we could see the rates a lot better that said, I think it is every mom, if they choose this path isn't for them, then the, the path they choose should be supported and they should be educated just equally about how to bottle feed, about the formulas they choose and all that. Um, but I definitely saw that that was the year I started my public health nursing. And then I ended up, I had two miscarriages in between Lil and Tom. And I think that was all around the same year as my public health nursing. And although I'm not, I wouldn't be generally stressed by nature, wouldn't probably, I generally don't tend to find, I, I kind of thrive on stress, if you get me, that kind of level of moving kind of quickly. Um, but I, I don't think I realised, but during Tom's pregnancy, I was probably an awful lot more stressed, just hoping that it worked to the end. And then Tom came along and, um, oh my God, like it was just fantastic. I was delighted. And I probably only realised then how anxious I probably had been through the pregnancy. It was a very difficult pregnancy with loads of issues. So when he was born, I was just so elated. I was so high on emotion. It was fabulous. And I literally clung to him like anything else. He was my limpet that never left. <laughs> and I found it fantastic. And I loved every bit of it. Mm. But then on the other side of my journey, I, for the love nor money, could get that child to take a bottle. I tried everything in my path. I, when it came to weaning him and I was ready to wean, I could not wean him. He was glued. And that's where my passion, yeah, I hear you. Oh, I'm that's ready to ask passion, you all the questions. <laughs> well, that's where my passion came for weaning. And that's why I set up the weaning workshop is because I find there's so much, as much as I say there's lack of support, there's lo- loads of information if you act, try to access it with regards to starting breastfeeding or how to hit, if you hit a, you hit a bump along the way, you know, you can find a little resource somewhere online. Whereas you talk about weaning and there's absolutely nothing. Like I honestly, at that point, even though I was studying, I had very little knowledge about how to end it in a nice way that you're not leaving your baby cry for hours on end in a, and you're, in a, you're literally sweating and stressed. Like there's nothing worse. 
but I honestly found there was no, I found there was no other uh, way through it. And I remember Lily ended up going into hospital and Tom must have been about 11 and a half months or 12 months. I, I, mean, I can't remember, it must have been about 11 and a half months. I remember that night going, oh my God, what do I do? Do I go with Lily into the hospital or do I stay with Tom? And then Jim was like, no, you go, because he wouldn't be great. And he was like, you go to the hospital. And I was like, well, what about Tom? He's like, he'll survive, he'll be grand. And I remember that night, like I remember ringing Jim going, how is he? Because when he cried for about 45 minutes, but he's all right now. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this. And I honestly felt like the worst mother in the world. He was like, he's grand, don't be worried. I don't think it's affected now. He did rock him and everything else, but he did cry it out. And I was devastated. But I honestly had no other choice. And I remember the next, he came in the next day and then the next night, Jim said, no, he only cried for 10 minutes. I was like, God, it's even worse. But then we got home and Jim was like, that's it. He's, he's fine now. So just don't do any more. Like, that's it. It's over. And it was a really harsh ending to what was a really lovely breastfeeding journey. And did he come he looking was, for it though? Like, you know, when you were- after, No, we were probably about four days in hospital together. No, no like it was such a, an abrupt ending. So the first- were you like, uh, and after all was, I've done for you, well, you in don't the end, even I remember I, me? I honestly think I took it hardest. So the first two nights when he told me that, I was devastated. But then the next day he wouldn't feed. He was really like, didn't really look for it. Um, he was fantastic on solids. So he was kind of nearly munching away himself. But I was devastated. And I found the, the cut. I think, the the, I, think I, I found it really harsh. Yeah. So I really struggled with that part. And that was my big thing because I was like, one, when I when I qualify, I really want to make sure that I do the breastfeeding antenatal class because I think education is key. If we if we know when things are going well at the very beginning, it's easier then to pick up if there's a red flag. But equally, the weaning from weaning workshop is probably one of my most commonly sought after consults or class because nobody knows how to do it on the other side. And then there's this misperception that you have to give the formula like in exchange for every breastfeed, particularly over one, and that's not the case. And there's so many different things that can change around it, but. I suppose that's where my real passion came and I suppose Jack came when I qualified and you know uh, I loved every bit of it and it's only do you know what it's one thing I think back and myself and Jim say it all the time we love and like I think that because we're through the real air stress we're past the real stressful stage or maybe we just don't think about things as much or things don't mean as much in that like like look if they knock something over it's like grand we just wipe it up we don't even think of it whereas I probably would have found that really stressful if they knock over the milk and that somebody knocks over something else you're like whereas now I'm just like grand and even Jim said we were talking about the other night we were looking at him and we're like oh my god he is like the final piece of the puzzle like he brings us on like not that the others don't he brings us so much joy to everyone in the family the other kids as well that we look at him and we go why couldn't we have been as happy as we are now then like why is it that only now we realize how little all those little imperfections like meant now they we adore every bit of it I find think we're truly enjoying parenting now than we weren't really I think we we're getting through those days those early stressful days I think it was just a matter of functioning and surviving whereas now we're going oh my god this I love it like you know we wake and up and you not many can say that when they have had 13 years of experience and still a three-year-old to indulge it in. Yeah, like every minute, like the chats, the laughter, like he could come down that stairs and like my kids were, in fairness, I'm very lucky. They were all good sleepers, relatively speaking, like they had their moments. And Jack probably would have challenged us more, like as in he would, because he was breastfed and we had him in the bed with us and it was all about, we didn't care. Like, so our bed went from a double bed to a, a king size and now it's a super king and now I don't care who joins us because there's plenty of room for anyone but like generally speaking nobody does except Jack could come in the middle of the night or he could come in at six in the morning he pops in for a cuddle and then he could head back or he could just stay, stay there asleep and like it's he could come down that stairs like he came down twice he'd now in fairness he'd had a nap so we you know we owed you know we were mm-hmm. ready for it but he he came down the stairs and he must come down by three times for conversations and had that been the others we would have marched them up and they'd be put back to bed and like yes gently put them in but it would be like no uh-uh back to bed it's this bedtime. is the rule this is the schedule this, yeah. yeah whereas now I'm like yeah and we laugh about me what no up we go and we chat we could have a chat the whole way up a chat in the bed he could come back out and we just I think we're just so much more relaxed that we honestly let things go like I think he's probably growing quicker and faster maybe obviously he's got three other siblings but I think we're just calmer as parents and we are truly enjoying it now and I wish if I could speak to my little person who I was when I held Luke and Lily at that time probably more when I had Luke and Lily together was like don't sweat the little things and I know people say that all the time and I'm like 
oh, okay but I actually really truly wish I could tell myself that it doesn't really matter it doesn't matter if the clothes are dirty or you know you know something wasn't done or the house wasn't spotless it really doesn't whereas I think at the time I felt like I had to have it all together had to have the house perfect had to have you know the kids perfectly dressed you know you're going out whereas now it's like Jack goes out and God knows what could be on him. He could dress himself. And I'm like, whatever, whatever works. Do you think that's just time? Do you think it's confidence? Do you think you're older? You know, I think certainly, I don't know, is it my children or is it the fact that I'm getting older as well? And therefore I have a different perspective on what I want out of life and what I care about and what I don't care about. Is it, do you think, because maybe, you know, your living situation, you know what I mean? Like with, you know, your husband isn't going back down to Cork for, for weeks at a time. I think all of that, I think a huge amount, I think I've grown as a person. I think I'm more confident in my abilities, particularly as a parent. So like, I suppose I've always had the nursing. So I was always quite a confident person in my knowledge, but transferring that to your own parenting skills is a very different, uh, it's a very different experience. Um, I would hundred percent say that my life is stable now. I think before we had a lot of ups, like as in Jim being away from home, then I'm coming back. Uh, the kids being really small, having the two, three miscarriages. Like, I think all of that played a part in how things were. And I think now, like, I'm, we're really content in our lives. Like, we've got our family unit built around us. We have four really happy, healthy kids. Um, we're still learning every day. And I love every bit of it. Like, we have good days and bad days. I'm not going to lie. There's some days that are pretty crap. Like, you'd be like, oh, my God. But, you know, that's normal. Um, but I think as a parent, I definitely... I have grown as a person and I don't sweat the little things as in I'm not worried about judgment as much. I think I honestly was before more worried about people's judgment or what people thought of my parenting skills that made me do things the way I did them. Whereas now I'm like, do you know what? I don't care. Um, I don't think I ever would have thought I would have fed a toddler before. And I think just time led me to get to that. Whereas I believed, and I would have been like not taught to believe, but I suppose in Ireland, you would generally not see that many kids over one being fed. I mean, my mom breastfed all like us and was very pro. Like he was nine months, she was like, oh, when are you gonna stop that? Like, no. And then one, oh my God, I can't believe you're still at. And then a year and a half, oh my God. So then it was just the unspoken topic. We just didn't talk about it. And she's very supportive, but that just wasn't for her. That's past her generation. And she was like, there is absolutely no need whatsoever for that. But that's the belief that was there. And I do think the younger generation are coming along and we are making a different wave. And like, look, feeding a toddler isn't everyone's and that doesn't have to be. Um, I think a lot of people don't ever go out with the idea I'm going to breastfeed for so long. I think it just naturally happens that it's harder to wean than it is to keep going. And that's where you end up in the situation where you have extended breastfeeding. Um, Like everything, I kind of say whatever works. And, And Jim would be the same. Like we have I think we've just gotten very placid in our parenting styles. That said, I don't know how the teenagers will go. I mean, I can cope with, give me 10 babies and I can cope, <laughs> give me a teenager. And I don't know, will I be as, will it be as easy as what I imagine it to be? On the topic of judgment, because of the work that you do, you have a lot of interaction with a lot of mums who are feeling vulnerable around lots of things and need that expert education and information and are coming to you as a source of that support. Are, are they suffering from feeling like there is still so much judgment around and do they still carry that weight of I have to do this right or other people will think that I'm not good enough? I think, you know, I think we've all gotten better and I think people speak about things an awful lot more. I think regards infant feeding, I hate to see it, say it, but I think there'll always be um, that unspoken judgment. And I don't, I honestly don't know why. Um, I see it time and time again, people saying, oh, what did you have? I had a baby girl. Oh my God, what weight? Eight pounds three. And how are you feeding? And I just don't get it. I am such an advocate for breastfeeding. I would love every mom to have a go at it to see, do they like it? But that's not my choice. And my choice is to accept everyone else's choice. Just like anything to do with birth, birth control, parenting, all that kind of stuff. And I just don't understand why particularly us as women and mothers, we have to be so bitchy and so judgmental of the other side. I honestly do. Um, I honestly don't. Like, I just, if some moms, I see it online and I personally see, you see a mom and they're doing really well and they're holding it together. There's judgment for her because she's coping too well. If her mother's falling apart and she's not coping at all, then it's like, oh my God, she's not coping at all. Why did she have a baby in the first place? I honestly 
don't see why as mothers and as women, we can't pull together and say, you've got this, you know, you'll have a bad day, but you'll get there and support rather than pull apart on the negatives of when things aren't going that well or when things are really going well. Um, but I don't know, is that us as women that we have to find critique or like something in somebody else? I don't know. Um, personally, I just think whatever works for every individual, go for it, you know, and if that may, if your family life is working well, whatever way of method of parenting that you choose, then so be it. That's the right choice for you and your family. And nobody can make any other uh, judgment or should have a say or even a comment on what you, you what you're, what, what you're doing. We hear a lot as well, of course, because Ireland has such low breastfeeding rates that one of the reasons towards that is because there is this, you know, shame or judgment placed on those that are breastfeeding, that it's not seen as normal or the done thing. And yet I'm actually seeing the opposite sometimes. I'm I'm seeing that there is a lot of judgment placed around towards women that are bottle feeding. I feel like the places are so divisive. You are yes. in a camp. You are in a, you go to a breastfeeding class with your baby and you only sit in a room with other women that are like breastfeeding. And I feel like whilst you said at the very beginning, when you were beginning to breastfeed and how your body took to it, your boobs took to it, your baby took to it, but your mind struggled. You know, it was, and I'm, I, I completely relate to that. You know, my biggest challenge at the beginning when it came to breastfeeding was that I just didn't expect the responsibility that came with it. <laughs> you know, yeah. the 24 seven, it's on me and how that made yeah. me feel really trapped and um, kind of suffocating. Yeah. Um, and I, I just feel like the, that discussion, could, could that not be, you know, shared amongst all women? Why, why do we have to sort of be in a camp of like, breastfeeding classes and maybe I'm not artic- you. yeah maybe I'm not even articulating that well I just don't know how we have to segregate and separate at that point when actually to, to we should be pulling together yeah to officially normalize is to all sit in the same room and say what's happening for me and why do I find it hard so that those that have never experienced that can understand and empathize and yeah. we can share that information together I, I just feel it it aids that being um, hidden again. Yeah. It makes you feel hidden again. Yeah, no, I, I completely, um, completely agree. And I do think even within the two camps, if you want to just put them separate, yeah. they're the bottle feeding. I think even within, and I see this, like even within certain groups, online forums and that, that you'll find, which should be a source of support, can actually do more harm than good in that they can be so extreme in their beliefs that it can have a major negative impact even if a mother's breastfeeding journey is going really well or like that some a formula feeding mom that may have a few challenges they they're giving advice that was maybe correct for them but not for everyone um and i just think sometimes these forums they're fantastic they can be great source of support but they can have the opposite impact and i do think it builds these certain groups can actually be more like they can be more uh, detrimental to bringing women together because it really signifies or like we are better than you or you are better than us. Mm-hmm. Like that's we're what doing I, it right. Therefore, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Instead of, you know what, it, it's a bit like when people ask about combined feeding and, you know, I'm very honest, like, yes, you can do it, but sometimes you can impact supply and it doesn't always work the way you want it. And it's, it is completely unique when you decide to combine feed how it's completely unique to each individual mother and baby how it's going to work but on some circumstances like in some other places they would say that's completely wrong you shouldn't be educating towards that and I'm like why like nothing has to be all or nothing in my mind yes I would love every mother to try breastfeed and I would love every mother to have a really beautiful breastfeeding journey but let's be honest that's not the case for every mother um and yes some will struggle on they'll get expert help but remember I'd love to say say breastfeeding is free, but breastfeeding is far from free. 
and it's the people that have the money are the ones that can access the support. Even what resonated with me was when you spoke about feeling trapped at the beginning. I never had that feeling at the beginning of breastfeeding, actually. It's really funny. I actually really enjoyed it. I knew that it was coming. So I knew how much it would take at the beginning of breastfeeding. I found it more harder nearly around the seven, eight, nine month stage where you feel like things should be getting back and they are getting into a routine and everyone, but now everyone's kind of forgot that you've got a baby that it's kind of like, oh yeah, just you keep on going. But then I kind of go, it's that, not resentment, but there'd be times where I'd actually go, I just want to go to the shop for five minutes on my own and just mm. not have anyone talk to me. But I couldn't if the baby wasn't gone down, right? He was unsettled and he needed a feed. Or you'd look over in the middle of the night and poor Jim be sound asleep. And like, he's so helpful. I can't give out, but you were just like looking at him going, oh. <laughs> or he could say, oh, you know, he slept all night. And he learned very quickly never to say that because I'd be like, no, he didn't. He was he awake. Didn't. He just didn't hear him. Um, and I'm really lucky. Like Jim is very hands-on with the other kids. So like in fairness, in ways I would have had it very easy that I took the newborn and he took the older kids. Yeah. So like, the more we had, she probably got the harder raw end of the uh, stick. But yeah, like, you know, breastfeeding is not easy. Breastfeeding is bloody hard. And it's hard at the beginning. Even if you have a really straightforward journey, it's hard. Um, that said, you can have a baby who's formula fed or bottle fed exclusively breast, uh, breast milk, and it can be equally as hard. So we should be trying to bring mothers together instead of separating them out and saying one is better than the other. I hate that conversation, fed is best. I personally hate the line fed is best. I hate the words breast is best. We know breast is biologically better source of nutrition for your child that does not mean it's the correct option mm -hmm. for every parent. I hate the word fed is best. Um, but I think it's like when somebody Even the words best is so divisive. Best. Yes. Like I'm not doing my best. I'm, and all you want for your baby is to be the is best. Your best. Yeah. Like support is best. That's my mind. Like and, and that's why I just I wish we could take away a little bit of judgment um, from I really do from parenting because I think it's getting harder in some ways with regards to parenting in that everyone's still trying to be not the best, but trying to really show that we've got it all together. I do. And like, yes, there'll be days, but you wouldn't always admit to everyone, you know, oh my God, that was Jesus. That was, that was terrible. You know, um, like I laugh now, I've got a neighbor next door and she's fabulous and uh, she's a GP and I laugh all the time. I go, oh my God, I'm so sorry if you heard me shouting like at the kids. She's like, Katie, I didn't hear you at all. Like, and I know she probably has heard me shouting, but she'll never say it because she knows that she's been there too, where you're like, oh my God, I've asked you for the 15th time to put on a pair of shoes. Can we go to the shop? And like, she just laughs. And I said, now it's summertime. Everyone will hear it. Like, you know, everyone will hear it on the street. But like, that's what I like. I love like-minded moms that are in the same boat that will actually, you know, when you're having a bad day, will pretend everything's perfect just so you feel normal. And that's what I love. This podcast is just one way that every mum can support you. Another amazing way is with our free gift bag, packed full of essentials for you and baby, including free samples of water wipes, the number one wipe against nappy rash. To receive yours, just register now on everymum.ie. There's a free gift bag there waiting for every mum. Do you feel like women are still coming to it a little bit like they've made the decision in their heads, oh, I'm going to breastfeed? Yeah. And then at the point of doing it, going, oh, no, oh I don't, I, I don't yeah. know enough about this. I think that's exactly where you've hit the nail on the head. I still think our education is so poor. I think the classes that are done in hospitals, I, they're just not good enough. I don't think they're focused. I think, do you know what? I think everyone puts so much effort and, and they look at their knowledge with regards to birthing and about labor and about what to expect. And I just think people think, oh, I'm going to breastfeed or I'm going to bottle feed. That's just, you kind of, you say it out loud, but we don't actually really put any, uh, I don't mean effort because that's wrong. I don't think we take enough, um, I think we take it for granted. I think people just assume I'm going to put the baby on and uh, somebody's going to help me and it's all going to work out okay. Mm. Um, I think lack of education is one of the biggest key factors with regards to breastfeeding issues. Um, I think unrealistic expectations of how breastfeeding is going to go is probably up there at the highest. I think if you know going in, this is going to be time consuming, it's going to be hard, I'm going to be exhausted, but I have to look at options and how to make it the best possible, uh, to make it as easy as possible for me. And that's by having support around, by knowing 
um, who to call, having your partner that maybe in between feeds can take the baby, lie and do skin to skin while you can actually lie on the couch and sleep or go grab a shower or just have that moment um, to eat. Um, latching is still a big thing. Um, and, you know, women being told it's normal to feel the pain. It's not like all the time. It's normal to have cracked nipples, um, which it's just not. Um, women being told just to put up with it when this isn't the case. Um, uh, yeah, like they're probably one of the biggest milk supply. Parents believing that they don't have enough milk supply. Uh, and that really comes in around the day two, day three. I don't think the second night syndrome is spoken about enough. Mm -hmm. I think basically as soon as you come out of the delivery ward, somebody should tell you that the next three or four days are going to be really bloody tough, but you'll get through it. And there should be nearly somebody, and I know this sounds really stupid, walking around at night mm -hmm. in the depths of the night when, in the postnatal ward and just going from one bed to the other going, okay, you got it. Look, you'll get through it, I promise you. Just, you know, keep going. Um, you know, somebody just even take the baby for half an hour to like, give them. I honestly think that, that one be person amazing. standing in the ward, even if it's just to shout, you're got it, <laughs> you're doing it, would make a mother to keep going. they I'm, are the loneliest hours. Hardest nights you'll ever put in. And do you know why? It's because the nights were, were meant to sleep. So when you're up all night, you're already fatigued from labor, no matter what way you gave birth, that you're like, oh my God, but once that sun comes up and you get that cup of tea and you hear the trolley coming and the day starts mm. you're actually exhausted but you kind of go god i can function okay i can function because mm. it's bright it's loud it's the way it's meant to be mm. um but i really do believe all that one mom sitting in the corner bed that has a baby that will not go into that bassinet um <laughs> and they're her. at their wits end yeah at their wits end mm. if a somebody all they do need to is somebody to come along and say you need to get that baby starving to skip formula you'll mm -hmm. question everything. You'll actually say, I can't keep going. Whereas if you're questioning and then you buzz that buzzer and someone comes in and goes, I swear you're doing such a brilliant job. Okay, what can we do? And just somebody to support that mom or talk to them, I guarantee you that will be a very different breastfeeding experience. Now, I'm not going to say every breastfeeding journey will go without a bump or anything else, but I think in those particularly early days, support is crucial. Having somebody smile and have your back means everything. I was that woman that you just described, like yeah. exactly her. I hadn't slept in two or three days. I was mainly because of a long labor. I was in the depths of the night, like three or 4 a.m., a dark October night on my own, pandemic, holding my newborn who cried and cried and cried and cried Perfect. and cried and cried and cried. Until literally until we stepped into our house and then she just didn't cry for months. But when we were in the hospital, I don't know, was it the noises or what? But she cried and cried and cried. And I could not put her down. And the curtain is pulled across and there is a nurse standing there. And I was like, oh, finally, someone is like, someone's coming to help me. Help me. And I think maybe it was it was amplified by the fact that it was the pandemic. And it was like, well, no one is coming to help me. Um. And she just said, well, I get a bottle. Yeah. Like just like, no, is everything okay? Is, are you okay? Can I do anything? Can I check, is your baby ill? Or, you know, has your baby got a temperature? You know, like, is there another anything. reason why it's crying? Will I get a bottle? And I was, and, I, and only that it's my second child. And I fed my first up until she was almost two. So I, I knew what I was doing. Had that not been the case, my response, everything would have fallen apart. Everything, yeah. everything that I had expected or placed on my shoulders to be able to do, I would have, the doubt would have crumbled me and I just would have gone, yeah. yes, yes, my baby is starving. It's my fault. How dare I make my child put up with this? Give it anything it needs, please. Thank you very much. But because this was second time round, I just looked at her and I was so angry. Yeah. I was so angry I was so angry that I couldn't form words which is probably good and all I could say was no like with the firmest no and then her response back then not even an offer of water or I'll hold your baby if you need to go to the toilet or do you want me to help link your arm and we'll walk and maybe the rocking of the walk will help the baby because I'd had an epidural and my legs were still wobbly no I was met with well then you're just gonna have to feed 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 and she left. 
she pulled the curtain back and she left and that was the only interaction all night and I still think of it my baby is 20 months old and I still think of it and I think of it because 20 months on my bigger problem is I cannot get this child to stop feeding (laughs) but that had I been a first-time mother that would not be where you are that is the moment that would have ended it for me. And that is okay if that would have been my choice. Yeah. But I don't think the choice, I don't think that is a lot a choice for a lot of women. I just think it's taken from them because mm. the support wasn't there to meet their needs. Um, and like what you say, <clears throat> I hear over and over and over again. And I say to every mother in my breastfeeding class, you press that buzzer every time you're latching the baby because you Mm. take as much help and support as you can get. Um, But I know that it will be met by many times that the moms say to me, Katie, I didn't want to keep bringing it because I feel like I'm bothering them or they come down. They're like, I'm too busy. And I'm like, "Okay." Um, but there will always be that cord that will meet that one nurse or the midwife that gave them that little bit of support. And they will be the ones that will get that mom through it. And like everything you describe in that night that you went through is pretty much, and you even said it, is transitioning to life outside the womb. And we see it in all babies, but it's it's amplified in the breastfed infant because also they're looking to get the milk supply going and they're looking for the comfort and security, which is on our chest. And as soon as their bums hit that bassinet, your guarantee is like an atomic bomb going off. They <laughs> seem to just wake up and come back to life. And you think, oh my God, I'm never going to get through this. But you do and you will. For the moms that are in the moment, I my, I really, really do feel that we are not doing enough. Like I look at friends who've had babies in Norway and the States and Australia and their partners allowed room in. Now that I just think is like, that's just out of this world. Amazing. Like you're having your partner there to turn around when you're in that rawest moment after having a baby. And you like, I will never forget, even after Tom and Luke were born or Jack were born and they were Dublin babies, so this were pork. And basically, like, they barely, barely got up for a minute. And then they were like, sorry, you have to leave next. It was obviously nighttime. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. And, like, you basically just had a baby. And then they just walk out that door. And that was my third and fourth. Now, I wasn't overwhelmed. I knew it would be fine. But I would have loved to have that moment to spend with them that we were together, really. Um, but the delivery suit was needed. So we're kind of, like, got half an hour, 40 minutes an hour. And then we're back out. But, you know, like, I just think, imagine the difference, even for first-time moms or second-time, whatever, to have your partner there to support you in every step of the way. Like, can you imagine the, the difference even in the nursing staff requirement? Because you wouldn't need them that much because you'd have somebody there to support you. I think our breastfeeding rates would be way higher because you have that person behind going, okay, look, I'll take the baby so they can snooze in between having the feeds. Like, could you imagine the difference Amazing. that would make? Like you okay. said, as soon as you got home, your baby started sleeping because you had a second person there that it wasn't, not completely all on you but I also think it was I downregulated so she downregulated like I I really was in tune second time round with how I feel she responds she communicates how I'm feeling if I was stressed in there she would cry if I just wanted to the minute we got home and we got soft and safe again I'm sure it was a pandemic thing I just wanted to get out of that environment and back into our locked down home Um, but with my partner I you know what I mean I wanted to be the unit again there was all this concern around who could be with you and who couldn't be with you I just wanted to get out of the rules and regulations and back into our home and as soon as I did she was safe I was safe and she stopped crying and she was the happiest newborn from that moment on but we do we see it a lot in moms or parents not moms but parents who are highly anxious um we see babies that will mirror that you will find a baby that's just a little bit unsettled um they're more sensitive to their environment changes they're more sensitive to um to being handled um whereas and you can see that like if we sometimes are heightened you can imagine that we are their safe place we are where they feel safe and secure and they feel loved and when we're a little bit jittery you can imagine them going well if mom doesn't feel very safe i'm feeling a little bit jittery now in response to that and that's where sometimes if you just strip down the clothes of the baby and you pop them in you do kangaroo care just do skin to skin it is amazing how that baby will just like literally just everything relaxes plus you do too so it's just yeah sometimes that's where I wish I could get to those moms hidden behind those 
those curtains and just go, you're doing amazing. You know, you will get, if you want this, you will get there. If you choose a different path, then be proud. And that's why I say one breastfeed or whether you breastfeed for a year, it is a huge achievement. It's a huge success. It is something to be really, really proud of. And that not every tear is because they're hungry. No, no. <laughs> and, you know, babies cry because they're communicating. They're trying to tell us something isn't right. That doesn't mean it's always about hunger. Um, it can be just wanting comfort, wanting love, wanting security. It's a bit like people always believe they won't go into the bassinet because they're still hungry. And that's not the case. They like connection because, you know, that's how babies have always been looked after and cared for is being connected to a parent or a caregiver. Do you love what you do? Absolutely. Every single day I wake up and I never mind going to work. I love going into a house and seeing the joy between a parent and a baby. I love the smell of a newborn. Like I, if I could eat newborns, I would. If I could had, it, honestly, if I could have had 10 babies, I would have easily had more. Um, it just wasn't that way. And that's, you know, happy enough with my lot and delighted who I have. But I am so I'm so privileged to be allowed into parents' homes. I'm so privileged to be allowed to be part of parents' journeys. And if I can make a difference in any positive way, then that's success for me. Like That's what I love. Do you find that now that your growth on Instagram means that you're not just walking into that person's home? You are walking into all of our homes because you are now providing us with access to this information. Deliver it in such such a kind way such an expert medical way, but such a kind human maternal way that beforehand we just simply would not have been able to have access to that. So that's lovely. Um, uh, do you know, I started Instagram up like literally from the corner of my table, a friend, um, I decided I was going to do nursing mom and it was just a way, kind of platform. She said, start up Instagram. I was a Facebook chick. I was older and we started up and I never believed the day I set that up that I could potentially have nearly almost 20,000 followers. Like I find that mind boggling that I kind of go, is this real? Like, is it actually real? And like having followers from all over the world, like I, I just am gobsmacked, but you know, it's something I'm super proud of, like starting from nowhere and building up nursing mama to what it is. I suppose it is that for me is, also a big achievement to know that I started something that I'm hugely passionate about um, and I really do believe that mothers and parents deserve better with our healthcare service even as a public health nurse I wish I could change so much within the HSE but I'm one person in the cog and I, I, I don't see things changing for a long time yet to come um, but I do believe that nurse, my Instagram page can provide little snippets of access to free information that is accurate and up to date. Um, and that sometimes, you know, you'll get those little messages in saying, oh, my God, thank you so much. It means the world. I've got this baby doing whatever. And I'm like, Woo, go for it. And I'll celebrate every one of those messages and I'll always reply back to DMs. Um, but, yeah, like I, I'm delighted for what's happened. And I suppose on the other side, it gives me the opportunity to maybe work more from home, having more of a better home life, work-life balance, but also something that I'm hugely passionate about. And I do believe I can build a really, you know, a sustainable uh, brand that um, helps parents in the meantime. Thank you for doing what you're doing, because I also know it does, you know, yes, it, it's allowing you some flexibility, but it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time to do what you're doing, to grow to where you've grown to, to respond to all of the, those DMs, to care enough about the people that are messaging you and seeking from this information from you. But had you not started out of, you know, the goodness of that passion, we wouldn't have access to it. And it is you and people like you that are just, it is a game changer for women of our generation. We didn't have it before. I'm so glad we have it now. I wish we'd have it in, you know, a more of a face-to-face -face setting yeah. with greater access at lower fees for all, you know, that everybody yeah. can understand it and, and that the narrative around these things changes and it, it's more inclusive. It's less judgmental. No shame if you wanted to breastfeed and you couldn't. No shame if you never chose to breastfeed and you were happy yes. on bottle no shame either way if you are at your best 
then your child is at their best. And that should be the line. It shouldn't be about fed is best. It's just you be at your best and surround yourself with the people that make you feel at your best. And then everything will be okay. 100%. I agree with everything. Everything you've said. I just think we should support each other. It's like women in business. I think we have so much power together that we can change the pathway. And I do think Ireland is changing with regards to infant feeding. I do think we are seeing more women um, trying breastfeeding. And I do think, do you know what? If it's not just our generation, I think our kids' generation are definitely going to see that ripple effect. My kids look and they see breastfeeding as the normal. I definitely think my sons would support their their partners should they choose to do it. Um, And I think they'll be an awful lot more empathetic towards it. That's my aim and my hope. But I do think our ripple effect, we should see it improving as time goes on. But that is up to the HSE and everything else with improving support structures around that. But I do think it's coming. I just don't know whether it'll be for our generation, but I definitely see it down the line. Now I just need you to tell me how to stop. (laughs) Oh, our little ones, aren't they just gorgeous? Do you know what? The stronger the personality, the harder it is. But I do will say when it comes to weaning, when we are truly ready to wean, mind and heart, you will wean your baby. The biggest problem when it comes to weaning is we are ready in our minds to finish, but our hearts don't always meet that. So we'll always be a little bit more going to, just I'll do it tomorrow. We also have to accept that sometimes you have to look at the time you are in at that moment. And sometimes maybe it's not the best time to wean. That said, if you are ready to wean, then it's about, I suppose, tackle your daytime feeds and then work towards the night. The resistance will be lower. Often the more feeds you drop, the overall supply takes a big hit and it's easier than in that situation for your child to find other comforts. Bring in, does she have a soother, blankie? Nope. Just you. Just um, me. It is, I'll be honest, around this age, so there's loads going on developmentally as well. They're starting to really full on chat and bring out new words. There's mo- gross motor milestones are like taking off like, like there's no tomorrow. And yeah, they do tend to always go back to the breast for comfort. I think I'll just disappear to Monarch for the week. Well, I guarantee you <laughs> she'll be off it by then. But you will get there. You will. Thank you so much for tonight. I've loved our conversation. And again, thank you for everything that you're putting on the internet for us. My God, do we need it. Thank you. You're so welcome. I'm delighted. Thank you so much for listening and to Water Wipes, the world's purest baby wipes for their support. Proven to be purer than cotton wool and water, water wipes are made with just two ingredients and are 100% biodegradable, plastic-free and compostable wipes. So you can do what's best for your baby's skin and help protect the planet. If you enjoyed this conversation, subscribe, rate or leave a review. Share this episode across social and get in touch with this week's guest at nursingmama.ie on Instagram.